93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to another coronavirus special podcast. On the show this week, we spoke to leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. We also chatted about how we can make the most of now being allowed to exercise on an unlimited basis with Associate Professor Adam Hawkey. We also were chatting about how crowdfunding has helped one of the most popular music venues in the city, the Wedge Rooms. We had the general manager, Jeff Priestley, on the show. And then a little bit later, we'll be talking about Portsmouth Creates, a new initiative that they have set up to get us more creative with uh, Pippa Bostock from the University of Portsmouth Faculty of Creative and Cultural Industries at the University of Portsmouth. As always, if you have a question that you want answering on the coronavirus special, you can get in touch with me. Send me an email anytime. It's Robbie at expressfm.com. Very shortly, we will talk to Associate Professor Adam Hawkey about sport and exercise, how we can get outside more now that we have an unlimited amount of exercise that we are allowed to do on a daily basis. But first, our first guest of the evening, leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. Gerald, good evening to you. Hello. Good evening. And it sounds you've got really interesting other guests on later, um, both of which I think should be really, really interesting. Um, the I'm, crowdfunding I'm, stuff has been an enormous success. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to to find out more about that because it's um I mean that there is literally there's, there's very few ways of of uh, of a community coming together remotely than, than something yeah. like that at the moment. Well, so which is which is why we at the council were so pleased to put the platform together to allow small businesses, charities, etc., to access that crowdfunding stuff, and and I'm I'm really pleased we did that, and that's worked so well. Um, I think uh, Wedge have have got. Fifteen thousand um, pounds in through the crowdfunding, and that's just wonderful. Um, and Portsmouth Create is is a really good um, idea. My deputy leader um, Steve Pitt um, is uh, a theatre producer, um, a music venue um, uh, boss, and things like. That. So he he's very much into uh, all of that, and he's managed to get a lot of money over I think over a hundred thousand pounds in to the Portsmouth Creates um, pot so that we've got a fund to be able to um, support local artists and local events. So uh, it, they're both really good things, and I hope you've got a really interesting evening. Absolutely, and it's certainly nice to see uh, It's nice to see creative people in creative industries like, you know, Wedge Dreams Music and whatnot getting um, getting some some well-deserved attention, I think, because it's, it's often they're, they're overlooked creative industries, so it's nice well, to see that as well. Well, I think we, we're clear in the council that economic development in the city needs to be culturally di- driven economic development. We know that over the last 10 years, cultural industries have created more jobs than any other sector in the UK. And in Portsmouth, they're doing really, really well. And we think our way to, to, to create more economic activity in the city is to, is to look to those uh, creative industries because we are so good at them and they are so good at creating jobs. And we'll come on to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I've noted that down, and I want to come on to that. And okay. we'll come on to that in a few minutes' time. Um, I just want to. First of all, though, I just want to start on what what those figures that I read out just then at the yep. start of the show. I know you you will have heard them, and and I know that we we expect um, the 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 death toll at QA Hospital to yep. rise. Um, however, that's the first time, Gerald, that I've I've read those figures in, in all the weeks doing this, and I felt. I've actually felt a bit of positivity coming out yep. of them, and I and I felt a little bit inspired. And, and you know, um, it feels like we've maybe turned a little bit of a corner. Do you do you feel that way? Oh, oh absolutely. And so um, the two care homes in the city who causes most most concern and where there's been most death most deaths um, 
are now looking as if they either have nobody who's exhibiting symptoms of, of having coronavirus or they've only got one. So it's likely that they're both going to be declared free of the outbreak of COVID-19 that they've, they've had for some time and where there's been quite a few deaths. So I think you're, you're right. Um, it feels as if we're beginning to crack this. But do, you, do, you, do you think there's a pandemic in Portsmouth? Interestingly, I think our numbers of people confirmed with the, with the virus is around half that of Southampton. So Southampton's a bit bigger than Portsmouth, but not that much bigger. So the number of cases is, is lower. But, but the trouble is, we know because there hasn't been nearly enough testing, that there's been lots and lots of people who've, who've had COVID who haven't been tested, who don't appear in the figures. But, but the proportion is probably similar in Southampton to Portsmouth. So I just think we've managed to do things better here than in some places because I think most people have been so good at following the rules about social isolation and social distancing. Well, they have, and that's what I want to... I want to talk about mainly the, the this evening with the time that we've got you, Gerald, is the fact that there are people now that, you know, are not staying at home. <laughs> as simple as that. We don't, you know, there's pe- plenty of people now that are, you know, well within their rights to be going outside and will be outside. And, and, and we've been hearing throughout the day, actually, I know it's been on the news bulletins about how various councils are uh, sort of preparing their city or preparing their patch for, for this outbreak that's, you know, going to happen today of, of people back onto the streets. Um, what, what are we, what what are we to expect if you're if you're a Portsmouth resident at the moment about to go outside in the coming days? What should you expect? So the things that the basic is remember about social distancing at all times. And there are things which you can do in a socially distanced way and there are things that you can't do. Um, so the things that you will be able to go and do um, is to go and play golf if there's two of you and you keep two metres apart you will be able to go and play tennis. But you can only play singles, you can't play doubles. Um, you can probably do the pitch and putt. Um, you can probably go, you can go sailing, you can go swimming in the, at the beach. Um, you can do canoeing. But, but with all of these things, it's about making sure that you keep two metres apart, unless it's somebody who you're living with all the time anyway. Um, and, and, but there are things that won't be possible for people to do because it's not possible for people to do it in a way that keeps them two metres apart. So football pitches, you can't have, we can't have games of football, cricket, rugby, whatever, because people get close to each other um, while they're playing games. And we also can't reopen the children's playgrounds or the um, outside gyms because people will be handling those bits of equipment. And we know the virus can, can live on surfaces for some time so so those are the reasons you won't be people won't be able to go and do those i know that we've we've heard in, in places like birmingham that the council of reese plans to to sort of do things like uh, cut the grass differently they're going to be cutting grass two meters yeah. apart and lines in grass and trying to find ways to sort of to, to help people along and and just assist people they've said that it's not they're not making it a law they're just assisting yeah. finding ways to assist people are we going to see anything like that in portsmouth I, know, I, I think that's quite a good idea. I think it's, we probably know the grass in a different way on the common um, because it's behind a tractor. I just don't think it's probably possible to do that um, without getting a different sort of, of, of lawnmower. But I think it's a sensible thing to look at and ask. 
it's the first I've heard of it, but it might well be a really good idea. And in terms of, because I, the, the worry for me is straight away that obviously we're, we're hoping that people won't use public transport as much. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to come on to that in a bit more detail in a second as well. So I imagine we will see more people walking about. And so um, I, we're quite lucky that we have, we have quite a lot of green space in Portsmouth, more than some cities do have. Yeah, and I think what we're trying to do is think of ways of making it easy. So the reason we shut the roads at the seafront was to make sure that there was enough space for people to be able to go down the seafront and keep two metres apart. Um, and because there might be more people, um, that sounds a, seems a sensible thing to keep doing until this is over. We, we can't do it everywhere, um, just because there are some places that are pinch points, like a South Parade Pier, where the pier is really close to the road, which is mm. really close to buildings. So you can't, can't shut it there. Um, but, but, yeah, we're trying to make sure that there is space for people to be able to exercise, go out for a walk and keep two metres apart, not be pushed together. Was, it, was the, initial, the initial road closure just down by the seafront, that, that, that was, from, from my memory, that was also to stop people travelling yeah. to, to exercise. Is that, so are we going to well, see that reopened? No. Um, so we keep the road shut up for the moment because it means that, that it was shut for two reasons. One was to discourage people coming from a long way away, um, and, and the other was to give people space to be able to, to exercise, but it, in a socially dif- distanced way. One of those reasons has changed, so people are now allowed to travel, to go out, um, but the other one hasn't. So we're going to keep the road closed because it means that people can exercise and still keep two metres away from each other and, not, and therefore not be a risk to other people. Plenty of us, of course, are encouraged to not use public transport if we can at yeah. all. Do you think this will? Uh, do you think this will change Portsmouth's transport policy? I know that there will be plenty of people that, that will be in favour of that happening. So we've been looking at what we can do to encourage people uh, to ride bikes, etc. And we've been looking at some areas where we can maybe take some road space while traffic volumes are low to allow more cycling, more walking, etc. So we're, we're looking at, at taking out one lane of the Eastern Road coming south and for traffic, because it's, it's two ways, two, two lanes, um, and just use that for bikes um, because there are more people uh, on bikes and traffic levels are very low. But if traffic levels go back up again, then we'll have to look at that again and, and that will probably have to come out. One of the interesting things, as I understand it, is that in Wuhan, where, where this all started, the amount of people using their own private cars has doubled since the outbreak because people no longer trust being on public transport. Now, I hope we don't get the same here, but I think there'll be a lot of people who will be very frightened about going on the bus or the train who therefore might take a, um, a car instead. Well, of course, I mean, there's plenty of people that can't, you know, can't necessarily you know, cycle to work or walk to work no. forever. And, 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 and they probably in the past did go by car, but, but we'll just have to see how things happen. We, we, we're also a city with, with a fairly low ownership level of cars in, in terms of our population. Um, but it just doesn't feel like that because we've got so much, so little space. Mm. I, I, yeah, I I do I do worry about the about the about the amount of cars we might see, but but I suppose residents of Portsmouth will be reassured to know if it's be, that it's being monitored and that you know that yeah. different things could change day by day or week by week or whatever it might be. 
And we're looking at other areas where we can have routes down, for instance, to the seafront, where we can we can try to take cars out for a bit just to see if if that creates a place that's safe so that people can get down to the seafront. Um, uh, but walking down or cycling down, again, keeping two metres apart from each other. And what, just finally, before, before we let you go, what advice would you give to those people at the moment? That we, We've had a few people getting in touch saying how worried they are about going outside because they know everyone else is going to be doing exactly the same thing with the weather being nice. What advice would you give to people that are, that are anxious about being back outside and maybe have vulnerable people back at home? Well, I, I think that the country needs probably to be staying at home a bit more than the government does. Um, so for people who are in the vulnerable groups, so people, anybody over 70, people in the high-risk shielded group because of medical conditions, that the advice is that you, shouldn't, you should remain at home and you shouldn't go out at all. And the people living with them, their families as well, shouldn't go out um, unless they absolutely have to. I, I think people are learning about doing things in a socially distanced way so that you do keep two metres apart. Um, I think... For people, they need to do what they feel safe with. So, actually, if you are worried about going out in the middle of the day when there are lots of people, okay, go out maybe at 7 o'clock at night when it's much quieter and go for a walk then when you're more likely to be on your own. Um, so do the thing that you think is safe for you. But I think the, the basic of this is if you can stay in and stay at home, that's the safest place for you to be. Okay. Well, listen, we'll... We'll leave it for the, uh, there for now, Gerald. We appreciate your time as always on the on the coronavirus special. So thanks for talking to us and uh, my, my, stay my safe. Pleasure. Okay, bye bye. Just great songs all day long. Ninety three point seven Express FM. Of course, one of those new introdu- uh, introduced measures uh, from Boris Johnson on Sunday with the unlimited exercise, meeting a friend at the park, and of course, moving house are now allowed under new rules and. The fact that we're, we have unlimited exercise is certainly something that is different. The fact that we can travel uh, to exercise now as well if we desire. We're going to talk to someone that's been on the show before, someone with the longest title I think we've uh, I think we've ever had on the show, Head of Sports Science and Performance at Southern University and also Deputy Chair of the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences. It is Associate Professor Adam Hawkey. Adam, evening to you. Hi there, Robbie. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. All okay with you? Yes, very good, thank you. Very well. Good. Now, uh, of course, the last time we spoke, the big the, the big change since we last spoke, uh, I should say, is that we n- no longer in in England uh, have to only go out once a day. And this is this feels to me when I heard this on Sunday, Adam. It fe- felt to me that this was a slightly sort of a, a big step in the right direction and in a positive direction from a sort of a health point of view, both mentally and physically. Yeah, I think I think there's two sides to that, really. First of all, it, it, it is a it's a relatively small change, but I think it will have a big impact on people. And I think you're right. There's there's the physical benefits of it, but there's also you know the psychological well-being that I think people are going to feel a, a little bit of a release. Obviously, we need to still stay within certain guidelines. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as we're going through. Um, but I think it will be. Um, a bit of a release for people, um, which will have some some major impacts on people's, particularly on their mental health. I think. Yeah, I, I think it's just that sort of, it, like you said, it, it it's not it's not a massive change, but the, just the sort of the perspective on it of not being 
it, it doesn't feel like lockdown, does it? When it, when it's unlimited amount of times you can go outside. You know, whenever you want, you can just go for a walk. You don't have to think, oh, you know, I've already been on a walk today. You can just you can just go out, and it's it's mad what that's just sort of that inch of freedom sort of does for for like you said for mental health and and I, I suppose it can do a good do a good job for physical health as well depending on how it's used yeah i mean i think previously we've you know we've been aware that we're allowed to go out to go and get food or medicine um, and we're also allowed to go, go out and get exercise and i think people have been kind of combining that together um you know going out for their for their daily walk and maybe getting some shopping if, if they needed to and i think now we're able to be a bit more precise and a bit more dedicated in terms of what we're actually doing for our exercise. And you know, the benefit. Sorry, you carry on. Go on. Well, I was just going to say, and, and how easy is that to do, and what what should people sort of look for in that? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, we, we did discuss this recently, but I think you know it's important to be aware that you know being active and taking some kind of exercise or physical activity, you know, it's still the same as when we spoke last time. So it, it's still really, really crucial for our for our physical health you know, in terms of reducing risk of heart disease and stroke and diabetes and, and osteoporosis. Uh, and we spoke before about, you know, it helps to keep our immune system working. Um, but there's also those psychological benefits in, in terms of, you know, we can have a bit of a release now from being cooped up. I think the biggest change that we're going to have now is people can be a little bit more specific in terms of the exercise that they're doing. So we've, we've been restricted a little bit in the last you know, few few weeks, few months, um, to having one kind of bout of exercise a day. And I think most people have just been pleased to be able to go out and have a walk. Um, and I think now with, with parks kind of reopening, um, there's obviously now talk of, um, you know, golf clubs being allowed to be reopened as mm. long as you're playing with, with someone from your family or one other person as long as you maintain social distancing. So I think some of those core activities that people have used to been doing before, like golf, um, you know, garden centres are opening, so maybe that'll encourage people to do a bit more activity in their gardens and plant some more trees or whatever it might be, and um, will be really beneficial to people in that way. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned the the golf aspects and things like that, and and to me the first thing that I that I sort of immediately thought about when I when I knew that golf courses were going to be open and when I heard that you could do you know sports as well with with those that are that are inside your your household is that finally we get to bring back some form of sort of competitive element because that's such a huge part of, of so many people's um life and so many people sort of make up mentally i mean i i am such a competitive person like, i love being competitive and doing stuff against each other and sort of challenging myself and you, we haven't really been able to do that much unless it's sort of throwing a tea bag in a cup you know in the last few weeks so it's yeah, nice I now to get that I mean, back yeah absolutely i mean obviously for someone who's involved in you know in professional sport at elite level not me competing but but supporting um, athletes and players um, and being involved, you know, Southern University have a really strong relationship with Southampton Football Club um, and various other institutions. And I think it's, you know, we're, we're kind of missing that competitive edge, as you say. Um, there's been a recent um, study commissioned by Sport England um, and people have been really aware of the importance of exercise. So, you know, one silver lining, I guess, from this whole pandemic is that people are taking a little bit more ownership. They're feeling a bit more empowered about being physically active. And we're finding that more people are exercising now um, than potentially were before before the lockdown. But we are all missing that professional sport element and that competitive nature. And and golf is probably one of those easier ones, if you like, to maintain those social distancing. You know, and, and golf's a very widely played sport around the world, but particularly in the UK. And and I think that will provide um, some respite for people. Um, and, you know, there are some professional golf games coming on soon, so... Um, 
you know, some of the professional players are playing in some tournaments soon. Um, so Rory McIlroy is involved in one of those. Um, and, you know, we're, we're starting to see um, a little bit of ingress into, into the kind of world of sport again. Obviously, crucially, um, we, we need to keep um, with the government guidelines so that we don't um, actively spread this, um, this pandemic any further. Um, mm. But it's nice to see some of these activities um, coming back into the, into the forefront of our lives. Um, I took... but, sorry, they are, cause they are crucial to our, you know, to our well-being, both physically, but also being able to watch these things and, and generate some pride in our teams or our sports. Well, I, that was. I will just pick you up on that, if if, if I may, with the stay with the professional sports side of things, because of course we've heard a lot, um, a lot in the last few weeks about uh, football in particular. As we've obviously got a lot of coverage about players, whether or not they're going to start going back to training, things like that. And and it, it, it is a it, as you say, you're you're sort of in in with professional sport. Do do athletes at the moment? Do they sort of see? You know the the chance to go back and train and and get ready to to perform again. Do they see that as a as an opportunity? Because it's sort of to me it it must feels like it must be quite a big honour to be asked to go and you know go training and and you know Rory McIlroy playing golf and entertaining the nation. Sort of being given that chance to go and go and sort of give everyone a bit of a positive a bit of entertainment. That sounds like quite a big a big honour. But also I imagine it's is it one that is also a little bit worrying and and causing some anxiety amongst people. Yeah, I think some of that will depend um, primarily on what sport they're involved in. There are obviously a number of um, individual athletes, so I'm thinking primarily athletics, you know, mm. track and field events. And athletes have been able to some extent, um, those who are lucky enough um, to have some kind of gym facility at their own home, and a lot of these are obviously professional athletes and therefore have those facilities, have been able to carry on in some form um, while they've been going through. Um, but obviously, with team sports, that becomes a lot more pragmatic, um, a lot more difficult to, to be involved in. Uh, and I'm aware of uh, a number of, for example, the Brighton players that have been um, able to go down to the training ground, but only on an individual basis. And they've been restricted to training outside on their own on a pitch. And obviously, that's not reminiscent of their normal training where they're involved with their whole squads um, and a whole support team around them. How, how much is the future going to sort of dictate how we as humans as well uh, you know us as humans uh, us as in the in the non-professional sporting world how we are gonna sort of have to change the way that we live in terms of focusing more on our on our, our diet and our sleep and our nutrition and things like that because I mean I know for for one I you know over the last few weeks I have spent a lot more time focusing on what I'm eating and what I'm cooking well that that's good to hear um I think uh, I mentioned before the positive changes that we've had and I'm, I'm hopeful and positive in the fact that these that these will continue. You know, as I said, we're far more aware now of our health and well-being, and hopefully that will continue. Uh, workplaces will allow us time to exercise. Um, the government will be more proactive in terms of pushing exercise as a medicine. Um, but you've mentioned two things there that are really interesting, which is nutrition um, and sleep. Um, and some people have done what you're doing, and they're more conscious of what they're eating and more aware. Other people, I'm sure, have been perhaps a little bit bored at home, not quite knowing what to do, maybe spending a little bit more time watching the TV and snacking while they're doing that. So it's really important that we're aware um, of, of, our, of our diet, um, of, of our nutrition, um, and that we're adjusting that accordingly. Um, so, you know, reducing carbohydrate intake is really crucial if you're, not, um, if you're not involved in so much physical activity. Hopefully, we'll all be doing more now. Um, try and sticking to normal meal times is really important. So not just eating 
all over the place. I've, I've said over the last few weeks in a number of interviews and, and articles is that it's important to keep some kind of pattern to our daily routine. Um, you know, not, not getting up too late in the morning if we've used to be getting up at six or seven o'clock in the morning, keeping to that routine. And also that routine applies to sleep as well. We know that by having poor quality sleep, um, you know, we have a, a less control over our weight. Um, we're more prone to injury. Um, it takes longer to recover from those injuries. We're more likely, and crucially at the moment, more likely to get ill or, or, or get infections. And therefore, some basic things that I'm sure we're all aware about is, you know, reduce the amount of screen time that we have, particularly before we go to bed. Um, you know, a, a, reduce the amount of caffeine, alcohol. Um, we're not traveling at the moment, so that doesn't have an effect. But, um, you know, reducing the amount of food we eat just before we go to bed um, and taking regular physical activity, which we're all doing, and they can all help to improve, improve our sleep. So I, I guess really it's a, it's a three-pronged attack in terms of keeping physically active, um, being careful what we're eating, um, so not increasing too much the amount we're eating, um, maybe increasing the protein that we're eating slightly. So, you know, if you're a vegetarian, things like corn or tofu. Um, if you're not, then um, lean meat like chicken or fish. Um, and then also maximizing our sleep. Um, so trying to keep into a normal pattern um, and, and get our, our recommended hours of, you know, somewhere between seven or eight hours of sleep a, a night. Just before we let you go, Adam, we, we, we want to talk about uh, a, an event coming up in a couple of weeks' time. You're giving a, giving a virtual lecture here. Yes. So um, what we're doing at certain universities is having a, a series of virtual insight lectures. Um, so the idea is to, to not only keep our students and, and staff engaged, um, which we're obviously doing um, currently, um, but also bring in the, the wider world, if you like. And um, I'm, I'm delighted to, to, to share with you that um, we'll be giving a, uh, a joint lecture, myself and uh, Professor Ed Lukowski, um, who is um, the co-director of Mayo Clinic Sport Medicine um, in Minnesota in the States. Um, I'm delighted to have him on. He's, um, he's a former advisor to President Bush and President Obama on physical activity and fitness. Um, so a really, really high caliber person. And we're giving a lecture, a joint lecture um, called I Like to Move It. Um, and we're focusing on how moving more can deliver huge benefits to our health and well-being. Um, so that's on the 28th of, of May, so Thursday, 28th of May um, this month. Um, and full details you can get on the, on the Solent University website, um, so solent.ac.uk. Um, so check that out, and uh, that's a free event, so anyone can, can register um, and listen in live or, or later on. Um, and that hopefully will give people some, some information um, about keeping active um, on their health. Wow, I mean, I think if you can, um, if you can, you can help the, the the leader of the free world to stay active, then you, you're probably going to be able to advise us all to stay active pretty effectively as well. That's that's phenomenal. Listen, Adam, thank you so much for for your time once again this evening and for coming on the show. And we we look forward to to seeing that event on the on the 28th of May. Lovely. Thank you. Take care. Now, of course, crowdfunding, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is a huge part of the community coming together and trying to help each other out at the moment. And none less so than the Wedred Rooms, which, of course, is one of the most popular music venues in the entire of Portsmouth. It's one that has been going for over 29 years. And we're going to talk uh, about what's been happening in the last few weeks with General Manager uh, Jeff Priestley. Jeff, hello. Welcome. Good evening. So, Jeff, before we get on to the crowdfunding that's, uh, that, of course, has taken place for you guys in the last few weeks, just take us back to 
when things started to it started to become obvious that uh, the wedge rooms were going to be out of action for for a long long time um, because of course you're a huge part of Portsmouth a huge part of the music scene and, and also uh, events and plenty going on in Portsmouth it's um, it must have come as a shock um, yes I mean when um, when we closed the venue on the 18th of March we didn't quite anticipate uh, the implications and what what that would mean um, since then, we've had to reschedule or cancel some 80 shows that we had booked in till the end of June. 80? 80. Uh, oh. One or two. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and tidy all that up, uh, we've had to do what most small businesses have done and uh, furlough the staff in the middle of all that. Uh, and um, just generally see where we are and what we were doing Um, because it all happened very very quickly for Uh, us like it did for everybody else yeah and and I suppose is it something that you (laughs) at all I mean of course these are times that no one's seen before but have there have there ever been things in the past because you've been going for you know about 29 years I think isn't it that you've been been going and 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 has there ever been anything in the past that's cropped up and and sort of faced the music industry or 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 Portsmouth's you know local music industry like this has no I mean I'm beginning to really hate the word unprecedented but it certainly is that um um no I mean uh, venues like us have our ups and downs uh the, again, like everybody else, uh, in the banking after the banking crash, we were we were hit quite badly. But uh, we soldier on. Um, nothing to this extreme. I mean, I think on Monday, it was sixty days since we actually since our last event. Um, and I, you know, I've been here twenty two years, and uh, two or three days maybe. But uh, but not sixty days without doing something. And as things started to develop, and as you sort of started to realise that this was going to be so much long term, where where was it that where did you get directed to crowdfunding? And and I suppose was that it was literally a sort of a last uh, a last effort, was it? Well, uh, been aware of crowdfunding for some while, but to be honest, it's not something I felt that we would do. However. Uh, we are involved with the Music Venues Alliance and the Music Venues Trust. Uh, and the reason we did the crowdfunder was that um, they, there has been conversation between the 650 venues involved in that. And uh, we decided we'd do a national campaign, which was hashtag Save Our Venues. Um, now, we were then advised that possibly doing a crowdfunder along with that may, would be helpful. Uh, because the, the the Music Venues Trust was doing a crowdfunder for the for the centre, but each individual venue should um, actually do their own crowdfunder. And uh, so we, I'm going to say, it sounds really bad. We didn't do it as an afterthought, but we just mm-hmm. did it as part of that because we've all supported national campaigns and and together. The, venue, the independent venues through the country, we have a louder voice if we're all shouting the same message. Um, so we were quite taken aback when people actually picked up on on the crowdfunder element of what we were putting out. Well, they didn't half, they didn't half pick up on it because you wrote, am I right in saying you raised your target in, in under 12 hours? Uh, almost 12 hours to the minute, yes. It was, uh, it was scary, uh, frightening, 
uh, and also very moving. I think is the uh, is the word because obviously we were uh, we were in contact via Skype, uh, and whilst whilst we kept watching people donate, uh, and the money was going up, it, it was uh, it was more the comments that people were leaving that took us by surprise. What? Because what sort of things were they saying? Well, we were getting just lots of nice comments about how Portsmouth wouldn't be the same without the Wedge of Dreams. Uh, we had quite a few staff from all over the country making donations. I mean, for example, uh, there's a couple who met here and have since got married. In fact, there's a couple of couples that have met here, working here, uh, since got married, moved away but and had kids and stuff. And they all sort of chipped into the pot financially, but also, like I say, that's very heartwarming messages. And it, it does show, doesn't it, that, I mean, because, I, I, you know, it, it's been quite well documented in the last the last few years how sort of it's it's becoming difficult times for, for local music venues ac- across the country. And, and you know, it's a, an industry which is, um, which is, I think it's fair to say, has, has sort of taken a bit of a hit in the last few years as, since technology and things like that have started to surround us. And I, and I suppose that this must have been, you know, regardless of the situation, it must have been just so reassuring to know that, there is still so much love, so much need, so much demand for for the work the work that the Wedge Rooms do from you know certainly from a musical point of view and and from nurturing local artists and and, and bringing joy to the community. Yes, I mean, like I say, that was you, you you do what you do. We do what we do here because we love what we do. Uh, and yes, live music has taken, especially at, at the lower end level taken the battering over the years because there are other ways for people to get their entertainment and and do other things but to see a mass outpouring of people which which were a very nice and and b was don't worry when you open we'll be back was um just far beyond anything we expected and what what in terms of i mean i know that we of course, no, no one knows when things will when things will return to normality, or you know how quickly these the, you know things will take to come back. Of course, we know that, for example, large crowds are something that we we expect not to see for for a long, long time. But what do you what's this what's this money done for for sort of has this been a sort of a short term uh, fix for for you guys, or or is it is it something that you think will be sustainable? Um, like like with most small businesses, if if you stop overnight the bills don't stop. Uh, and so what the, the money's gone to two things. It's gone to filling the shortfall we had in, in the finances, um, short term to fix that. Uh, and also we have uh, two or three staff that have been involved with the venue for a while that are self-employed, but haven't been self-employed long enough to get the benefit of anything that the government's offered. So we've actually given them some money to get them help get them through this period as well. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. What what's the what's the future for music venues looking like in your in your opinion? You know, when when it all does get back to normal, do you think that this all sort of this will give us a new a new sort of fresh start for music venues? Because I think so. I think I think people appreciate it a bit more. I mean, obviously, our business model currently involves ramming a lot of people into a small space and making a lot of noise which in the short to medium term is is not what we're going to be able to do so um we're beginning to look at ways to get through this and alternative things to do with the venue but also um 
different ways of looking at um, at what we do. Uh, sadly, some of some of the economics doesn't work unless you, unless you're quite busy. So um, obviously, we're in the process of reviewing all that as well. But uh, I think things things will change definitely in the short term because we'll have to. Um, if when we reopen, um, it could probably be a slightly different wedge of dreams for a while. Until, I mean, obviously, like the rest of the world, we're sat here waiting for some sort of vaccine. Mm. And, and and how much are you sort of? You mentioned there that surely when you know when things do get back to normal, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of people wanting to you know wanting to, to perform all of these creative people in the local area that will want to you know want to be having gigs at the moment. And and how much have you sort of been communicating with uh, sort of local artists and and things like that? Because they're they're you know you play such a vital role in in their development and you know such a, a wonderful sort of mentor if you like for for them you know throughout their musical journey. So how how have they from your experience experience how are they sort of dealing with it and how are the, how's the communication been um most of them have uh, have taken to social media it would appear mm. uh, uh, and uh seem to be tackling the technology uh and in fact i know some local musicians in some cases be able to get some funding so that they can do what they do and do it well um over uh social media and things um we initially we had a lot of offers of help from uh, from a lot of local artists, uh, which at the moment we've put on hold. Um, I suspect that uh, as soon as we're close to opening, I'll be in touch with quite a few of them, and we'll see where we can all move forward together. Because obviously, uh, as we're not making a noise, they're not performing either. And, and some of the artists that uh, specifically locally that do play here actually earn their living by playing. So. Uh, obviously, as soon as we can get them up and running, the better. Well, believe me, we'll be we will be there, and we are we will we will be looking forward to to seeing our local artists once again and being back at the back at the Wedge Rooms because I know that I, I mean I know so many people that are just just from talking to to friends and family that that are missing missing live music and uh, missing the Wedge Rooms. So Jeff, listen, we're we're so pleased that uh, that you've had a bit of uh, a, a bit of positivity in the last last few weeks, and uh, we look forward to being back at the Wedge Rooms soon. Thanks for chatting to us. Thank you, and uh, we look forward to welcoming everybody back. Express FM. Portsmouth Creates has provided over 1,500 free art packs, uh, including pencils, sharpeners and colouring books. Uh, the idea uh, was for Portsmouth adults and children alike to enjoy, uh, either as a mindfulness exercise during these stressful times or for children and families to have a much-needed additional activity and distraction after weeks, of course, of no school. And we're going to talk more about this now uh, to Pippa Bostock from the University of Portsmouth Faculty of Creative and Cultural Industries. Pippa, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, Robbie. Thank you for finding the time to talk to me this evening. I've actually got my Portsmouth Creates hat on this evening. Oh, have you? Yeah, I am one of their directors as well, so I'm very, very proud to say um, I joined the company back in March. So we're a community interest company. So for us, this, this opportunity with 
to try and make something to cheer people up with obviously the, the threat of coronavirus just felt really important to us to help those people who are struggling and trying to reach out to disadvantaged, hard to reach and vulnerable groups to give them something, you know, a little bit of light and colour in their day. Well, this is, this is absolutely what we need. And we've, we've mentioned this so much in the last few weeks about how important it is to sort of focus on our patch and find our little thing that we can do and, and our little way that we can help out. And, and this is a wonderful way that, that you're, you're helping out. And, and I suppose it's something that is um, it's something that's needed in the world at the moment. We need these sort of distractions and we need these, these little things that are going to just make our lives that little bit more joyful. Absolutely. I mean, the, the reaction from the community, all the art that's gone into the artwork has been, into the colouring book, has been donated. It's all original art from 22 local artists. And I'm very proud to say that that just response was incredible. It was such a short turnaround. People did drawings just for us in a lot of cases, got them to us in two or three days. People that printed this for us were just amazing. So in actual fact, though, the 1500 was our original print run. The response was so incredible. And a huge thank you to Billy, our communications officer, who's got all of these packs. We're in lockdown. We can't help her go and pack all these packs. She's done them all herself and got them all out with her family. But we've now printed another 1500. So we're now up to 3,000 of these art packs. They've gone to places such as The Hive, working with Portsmouth City Council, Red Cross, Stop Domestic Abuse, St. Margaret's Food Bank, local schools, QA Hospital. Um, but we do have about another 1,200 that will be ready later this week, early next week, to go out. So if you are working with disadvantaged, hard-to-reach, vulnerable groups, please do get in contact with us. You can go to the Portsmouth Creates website, portsmouthcreates.co.uk and you can find our email address on there please do get in touch because this is really here to sort of help everybody we can well, so let's go uh, go into a little bit of detail then so uh, you, you said that there's been these are all coming from local artists so I suppose it, it, in, a, in a funny way we, we were talking to um, Jeff Priestley from the Wedge Rooms in a second a, a second ago and, and the mm-hmm. Wedge Rooms of course act as a sort of a middleman between um, between local artists and the community and I suppose what you're doing here is is again you, you're still serving local artists and I suppose that they they need extra exposure at the moment because art galleries aren't open things like that Absolutely. I mean, and we've, we've got another very special project coming with some of our artists. So it's, it's very much a watch this space and keep an eye on our website because um, we've got some more news to release soon on that. But for us as Portsmouth Creates, we are here to show people, A, how amazing Portsmouth creative industries and Portsmouth cultural is as a city. We've, and we don't just mean opera. We don't just mean ballet. We mean everything. We mean the Wedgwood Rooms. We mean... Yeah, your local artists, art in schools, it's also important to us that we just show how wonderful our city is and the creativity across the whole city. I mean, the artists in the book, I'm very proud to say there's um, six artists from the university, members of staff and things as well. You've got amazing international artists we have in the city, like My Dog Size and Farco and various other ones in there. And you, you, we just had such an amazing response. And we really do hope to do a volume two of the colouring book as well. So if you're an artist out there listening and you're thinking, wow, I'd love to get involved. Again, please do drop us an email. And then when we do that call for volume two, we'd love to get hold of you and say, yeah, would, you, would you like to submit a drawing? So that's something to think about too. And, and, and you mentioned there about how the creative industry in Portsmouth is, 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 is so, such a thriving place. And, and, and Gerald Vernon Jackson as well, who was on the start of the show, he, saying exactly the same thing. And, and is this a, a nice chance for a lot, of our, a lot of people in the city, I suppose, that have a lot more time on their hands now to start 
being creative and, and learning different skills and a lot of people that maybe hadn't done something creative before because you know of time or whatever it might be they now have the chance to do that and I suppose we might see you know in the future um, a sort of a, a new outbreak a new refreshed uh, refreshed city of creative people I think it's always been there. I think sometimes we're also busy with, with our day jobs if they don't relate directly to mm. that, that you sometimes forget. So sometimes when you're just given that two minutes to sit down with just a couple of pencils and a piece, you, know, you can go to our website. It's really important. So if you go to the website, you can download the whole coloring book. So if you're not someone that's received it through the food banks or anything else, that you think, oh, I'd love to have a go, please do go to the website because you can print out any page from the coloring book. It's all there all free to download, you can print it out. And what we're saying to people is if you share, if you, take, if you color it in or your kids color it in, take a picture, share it on Instagram or Facebook, tag us, and you can win a special prize. We've got um, some packs of art materials, really bumper packs that have been kindly donated by the University of Portsmouth, and you can win one of those by just taking part, getting involved, and helping us create up Pompey. I was going to say, that's the hashtag, isn't it? Create yep. up Pompey. Hashtag create up Pompey, yeah. It's, phen- it's phenomenal. And... Uh, has there been a lot of young people as well uh, getting involved with this? You mentioned the children doing colouring in, and I, I imagine that this is, I mean, like I said at the start, that it, it's, it's perfect for children, isn't it, that needs mm-hmm. need something else to, else to do, climbing the walls. Absolutely. It, it, it's just a great way for a fam- family to get involved as well. I mean, I start, I've start. i got three young children myself. I mean, when we were first getting the designs in, I printed a few out and gave them to my kids to say, oh, yeah, what do you think of these? Would you like to do them? And I've got ages at home from 10 to 7. And they loved them. So we, you know, some of the pictures, if you follow me on Instagram or something like that, you'll see the pictures I've been pushing out of some of the ones my kids have coloured in for me. But I had the most wonderful evening where I got involved and, and I'd forgotten how much I loved colouring <laughs> in. So I'd really recommend to anyone, if you know, things out there are making people anxious, making people, there's a lot to think about at the moment. It's just a good way of switching off, remembering the good things, remembering just, you know, there is hope on the other side of this. We will get through this as a city. Portsmouth's an amazing, resilient city. Just, it's just a way of remembering the art and the inspiration on the other side. And what advice would you give, picking up on that, what advice would you give to to people that, you know, that, that maybe as well as doing things like these, these uh, colouring books and whatnot, uh, people that want to be creative at the moment but feel restrained, what advice would you give to them to try and st- sort of stay sane and still be creative? Because, of course, we have so many musicians in Portsmouth. We have so mm. many people that, that do, you know, all sorts of media, and, and especially at the University of Portsmouth, it's, there's so many fantastic media courses that go on, and these people want to be there. They want to be in the studios. And, you know, I, mean, I feel so lucky to do this at the moment. But what advice would you give to, to people that don't aren't so lucky absolutely i think try and take the chance to do something whatever works for you i think really it's a cliche but i'm missing eldon building our home express fm's home desperately (laughs) as we all are at this point but you know a lot of our staff are taking the chance to maybe learn a new piece of software that will have they never really have the time to to play with it and learn it in a different discipline so maybe look at something new there's so many amazing online teaching resources and we're pushing that all out to our students but you know if there's someone out there who's listening thinking i'd love to learn a little bit about i don't know where do you start learning unreal engine there's resources out there on the website and again anyone's welcome to email me and where i can i'll, I'll direct you to something that might be able to help so just run us through uh, finally just run us through how how the, the exact places that people should go to to get involved with this yeah, so for the colouring book, it's portsmouthcreates.co.uk and you'll find our email address on there, which is info at portsmouthcreates.co.uk. So contact us if you'd love to either 
think about submitting art in the future or if you'd like to get hold of some of those we've got about 1200 in this run art packs that are almost ready to go so if you're working with groups or with people and you'd like some of those please let us know um and again just reach out to portsmouth creative if there's something you'd like to, to talk to us about we're always willing to listen we are here for the people and the creative community of, of pompey that's what it's all about it's why we do this we're all volunteers well, I'm, I'm excited to I'm excited to find out what the second book is going to look like, Pippa. It's it's fantastic, it really is. And thank you, thank you so much to you and and to everyone at Portsmouth Creates that are working so hard to to do this. And uh, like you said, you're all volunteers, and we, and we we really do appreciate it. The community does. So thank you for everything that you're doing, and thanks for thank being on the show. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you very much. Once again, a big thank you to all of my guests for coming on the show this week. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with me uh, and you have a question or a query or a concern that you want answering on future episodes of the coronavirus special you can email me robbie at expressfm.com and the coronavirus special returns wednesday evening from six o'clock